You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled The White Robe. Hello my radio friends, I'm so glad you could join me today for another in the series, Give Me the Bible. I hope it all has been well for you, and regardless of whether you've had a good or a bad week, there is one thing that's certain, that is, God loves you. I don't want to sound like a cracked record on this point. But on the other hand, I really want you to realise that God's love is real. It's for you. Today, I want us to consider a symbolic expression that is used in the Bible in several places. The expression is the white robe. A few kilometres from our home, is a small church where, for their Sunday services, the people wear white clothing, that is, white robes. The question is, why do these people do this? Other Sunday-keeping churches do not require their worshippers to wear white robes for their church services. They wear normal clothing. Apart from being a custom with those particular people, The answer is probably that white robes signify purity. This is borne out with weddings. A chaste virgin bride is entitled to wear a white wedding dress, signifying that she she is pure, that she's not slept with anyone, and her husband can know that she's been a good girl. I suspect that there are plenty of brides nowadays who wear white on their wedding day, yet do not really qualify to wear white. To not wear white is probably an admission that they've not been as pure in their relationships with men as what many people think. Nevertheless, white signifies purity. Purity of what? you might ask. I think that might best be explained as being free from sin, or at least in the normal sense, to be free of corrupt behaviour. We find the white robe expression in the book of Revelation chapter 7 and verses 9 and 10, where it says, After this, I, that's the prophet John, who was in vision, looked, 
And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What John writes about here is a scene in heaven where all the saved people are collected together. We'll consider what they were saying a little later. Then, in the same chapter, Revelation chapter 7, and this time verse 13 and 14, we read this. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Hey, isn't this an oxymoron? That is a contradiction. The text says that the reason these people's robes are white is that they have washed them in the blood. <laughs> Surely blood is not a good liquid to wash dirty clothes in. Don't you think the robes would be stained red and would be certainly something other than white? Something seems pretty odd about this whole business. Yet, the Bible is a book of truth. It does not lie. So there has to be some different meaning than what appears obvious on the surface. The answer is, and was, was pointed out in some previous programs, that the meaning is symbolic. Symbols are used to convey the actual meaning and then to provide word pictures to help people remember better. We see symbols around us almost everywhere. For example, you see a sign at the side of the road which shows a car and some wiggly lines. You would recognise that this piece of road is slippery when wet. You see a cardboard carton with a symbol of a wine glass printed on the side. You'd realise that the carton is not to be tipped upside down. It has a right way up. You see a traffic light with a red light glowing. You know that red is symbolic colour for danger. So, hopefully, you stop. You see a heart-shaped symbol you recognise that it means love. Even letters and numbers are symbols. So then, we recognise that white is a symbol of purity. But what do the robes, the garments, represent? And what does the blood represent? Nudists seem to like to take their clothes off and enjoy going around naked. 
There are places in Australia, and there are officially three in South Australia, where it's legal to be in a restricted public place in the nude. Clothes cover up our nakedness. In a spiritual sense, naked represents our natural sinful state. We've all sinned. Romans 3.22 points that out. There are many things that we've done that reveal that we are sinners. We often try to cover up those things so that others will not be aware of them. Clothes, or robes then, symbolise that which covers up our sinful ugliness. In the story of creation, as recorded in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7, we read what happened after Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sinned. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realised they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They made clothes for themselves to cover up their nakedness, that is, their sinfulness. Now, before we discuss the blood and the washing of one's robes in the blood, I want to share with you a short story told by Jesus. It's recorded in the book of Matthew, chapter 22. It's about a king who prepared a wedding banquet and invited guests to the party. Many who were invited refused to come. So others of a lesser status, the common people, were invited. These people accepted the invitation and the wedding hall was filled with guests. And then in verses 11 through to 14, the Bible says this, But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This parable outlines the way of salvation, and it importantly points out the necessary requirements to become part of God's kingdom. The man in the story came to the king's banquet in his street clothes. He had not accepted the special wedding garments the king had provided for all his guests. As a result, he was removed from the banquet. He no longer had any part of it, and he was put outside where he regretted in anguish what he had done, or rather what he had not done. This wedding garment is the same as the white robes mentioned in the book of Revelation. The white robes are not good deeds. 
The white robe represents the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the righteousness he gives us when we accept him as our substitute. Put another way, we have no natural right to be admitted to heaven, to eternal life. The only way we will ever get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Our so-called righteousness is not acceptable because we are contaminated with sin and there is no place in heaven for sin. Salvation, as proclaimed by the large group of people mentioned in our opening text, is all due to God's doing. Jesus took our place. He lived a sinless life, and he took the punishment that we deserve. All this was done for us, but we have to accept his sacrifice. If we don't accept it, we'll not have any place in God's kingdom, and we'll have to accept what's coming to us. That's eternal death. The white robe is the righteousness of Jesus. It is given as a free and undeserved gift. God's people, the saints, are those who, as it says in Revelation 14.11, keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. The faith of Jesus really means the faith Jesus had in the Father, and it also means the faith that we have that Jesus can save us. Put another way, in the book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And what name does this refer to? It's the name of Jesus. Buddha can't save you. Muhammad can't save you. There is only one who can, and that is Jesus. We'll have a musical break, and then we'll come back afterwards. For the cleansing power Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, godly, white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Aside the garments that are stained with sin And be washed in the blood of the Lamb There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb Yeah. 
Just before the break, I was saying to you <clears throat> that Muhammad can't save you, Buddha can't save you. There's only one who can, and that's Jesus. One of the several other references in the Bible about the white robe is found in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, He that overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but I will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. The white robe is Christ's righteousness in place of ours. We must surrender our sins to ask for forgiveness and then accept that we are forgiven because Jesus took our punishment. In some cultures, they cannot understand that a superior being, that is, God, came down to a human level and even surrendered his life in order that normal, sinful human beings could be given eternal life. What a God! Now, what about washing our robes in blood? Firstly, let us consider the words found in Isaiah chapter 1 verses 18, to, uh, verses 18 to 20. It says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient... You will eat from the best of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. Here we're told that our sins that are so obvious, so contaminating, will, if we're prepared to accept God's forgiveness, be removed, and we will then become pure, white like snow or clean wool. So then, what happens to our sins? We're told in Micah chapter 7 and verse 18, and speaking of God, it says, You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. In other words... When we are forgiven, our sins are totally gone from us. And if they're gone, we're then white and pure, clean from all iniquity. There is another image about what happens to our sins when we're forgiven. It's found in the book of Psalms 103, chapter 103, that is verse 12. It says, As far as the east from the west... So far has God removed our transgressions from us. If you travel to the east, is it possible you'll ever come across the west? 
No. There is never a junction point where the two directions meet. It's different with north and south. When we are forgiven our sins, that's it. They are gone. Sometimes you may hear the expression that Jesus gave his blood, or sometimes you'll hear the same thing, but they'll say that Jesus gave his life. Blood represents life. In Leviticus 17 and Deuteronomy 12, we are told that the blood is the life, and vice versa, that the life is the blood. Washed in the blood really means that our sins are removed because Jesus shed his blood, that is, he gave his life, to pay the penalty for our wrongdoing. Have you ever wondered why Jesus has often been called the Lamb or the Lamb of God? The simple answer is that when the Israelite people under God's instructions set up the temple with its sacrificial services, in order to have their sins forgiven, they were required to choose a perfect male lamb from their flocks, take it to the temple, place one hand on its head and cut its throat, causing it to bleed to death. Some of the blood would be caught in a vessel and sprinkled on the horns of the altar and then the lamb would be incinerated. Many city people today would find this sin-cleansing ceremony somewhat repulsive. Yet the whole ceremony was designed to point to the future, to what would happen to Jesus. He would shed his blood, that is, give his life, so that repentant sinners could be forgiven. The Bible has many, many references to what Jesus did in order to save us. If you read the New Testament, you just cannot miss these statements. Here's one. Hebrews 7 verse 27. Unlike the other high priests, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. You know, that once mentioned there is most significant. Christ gave his life once, but his sacrifice was for anybody and everybody. Even if you choose not to accept what he did for you, he still did it for you. In the same book, Hebrews 13 and verse 12, is another statement about how we are cleansed from sin. It says, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Jesus was crucified on top of a hill known as Golgotha, outside the city of Jerusalem. A little further toward the end of the Bible are the two books of Peter. In the first one, 
In chapter 1 and verses 18 and 19, we read this. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Money can't buy eternal life. You can't work your way to eternal life. It is a gift of God through what Jesus did for us. The Apostle Paul, writing to the believers in Corinth in the first century AD, reminded them of the importance of what Christ had done. He said, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let no one downplay the importance of what Jesus did. It was the most significant act ever done at any time in the history of the universe. As I pointed out earlier, there are heaps and heaps of references in the Bible on the subject of our cleansing from sin through the sacrifice of Jesus. But I want to share two more with you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 17 says, The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Have you ever been in the situation where you're saying goodbye to someone who you may never see again? We usually save up the most important things we want to say for those particular occasions. And that's exactly what it's like with the Bible. The last chapter, number 22, in the last book, Revelation, has some of these extremely important statements. And guess what? There is a reminder to the human race that there is a passport to eternal life. The verse goes like this. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. The city referred to is the new Jerusalem, that is heaven, the dwelling place of God. The right, or the passport, is the fact that we must have our sins forgiven, and that, of course, is only done through the cleansing power of Jesus Christ. Just before we finish today's program, I want to point out to you something important, referred to in the text from the book of First Peter. The Apostle Peter mentions the empty way of life. When you stop to consider what life is all about and what's its meaning, most people do not have any satisfactory answer. They just don't know why they came into existence or why they're here, or if they have a future. But the Bible gives us the answers. Clearly the Bible points out that there is a future, an eternal 
glorious future for some. They are the ones who recognize their own sinfulness and request God for forgiveness, that is, pardon, and then go on to honor God in their everyday lives. They are the ones who will be, symbolically, wearing white robes, having washed them in the precious blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us, that we may have that glorious eternal future. But you must make the the choice for yourself. I've made my choice. I've sinned too. But I've asked for forgiveness. I have accepted that I have been given, forgiven rather, through what Jesus has done for me. I have, as it were, washed my robe in the blood of the Lamb. The most important question for you, however, is what will be your choice? I urge you, choose life, eternal life. You will never regret that choice. Well, that looks like it. We have to end today's program. And in the meantime, until next time, I wish you peace and joy and that your choices will be for life, that is, eternal life. <laughs> 